0: Hey, it's Cameras or whatever time. Your hey. podcast for <laughs> professional photographers. Hi Cameron. Hi. You're Cameron Whitman.
1: I am Cameron Whitman and you're Tyler Stallman. Welcome back.
0: How's it been? Um I think we're like just barely behind our bi-weekly schedule.
1: Yeah. Well we yeah. I don't really know what week is any week anymore. But well our bigger failing right now is that <laughs> we promised
0: that our next episode would be live together. We'd be in in person. And then, um, well, we're not, (laughs) we tried. Yeah, we were, we were in person together that happened and Mm -hmm. we, uh, talked enough that it could have been an episode. Yes. Um, just unfortunately the circumstances did not permit us to turn on microphones and, um, yeah, we were just too busy. Um, There was, there are too many people. And, uh, if anybody's wondering, we were in New York together to record the second annual Stocksy awards which are for stoxy photographers that accomplish amazing things. Yeah. And we
1: didn't have any fun at all. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, I don't know. We can, uh, we can have fun now, (laughs) but the video, well, actually, when is it going to be done? No, I don't know. Uh, uh, From the time people hear this uh, any day now, (laughs) okay that's exciting i think it seems like it's going to be a lot of fun
0: yeah i think so it, it was last time so and
1: there's always really amazing photography to
0: see in it like even if you're not a part of the community or you don't even know what we're talking about because this is not a show about stock see we just um, exactly to, we're to, just to catch you up if you haven't listened to all the back episodes we both work there so
1: yeah <laughs> um
0: but uh yeah no there really is amazing photography to see so
1: yeah and i think i mean that's definitely the highlight i think that for our our part in it is to mostly just stay out of the way right yeah i think so just to uh, allow people's great work to be seen Mm -hmm. and honor it but to try not to overshine it or something that's exactly right
0: um there's a url for this what what is it is it like awards.stocksy.com um that's right yeah it is that yeah that sounds right i'm glad i was right so i don't have to edit that out yeah perfect um i want to talk about stands for a while Light sure. stands, backdrop stands. Um, right now, I am shopping for C-Stands.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, Cameron, I know that you're, uh, you're a photographer, so you know what C-Stands are. But yeah. um, for anyone else out there, I didn't encounter a C-Stand for my first number of years shooting.
1: Yeah, I think that you usually don't see them until you're on like more high production professional shoots. Yeah, that's right.
0: If you walk into most smaller camera stores, they, it's not what they're going to have available. They'll have, I guess, what you'd call light stands, mm-hmm. which is the. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to talk to anybody that that is isn't aware of a C stand. So a light stand has basically like a um, tripod base that all comes out from the center, and each leg extends equally. And it like slides up the, the middle pole of the stand, the advantage of them. I think the reason that light stands are so popular for photographers is that they're light. They're, they're lighter than a C stand. Cause the funny thing is they're not way cheaper. Well, small light stands can get quite a bit cheaper, but I mean right now, so I'm looking at the C stands that I think I'm going to buy mm-hmm. and they're made by Matthews and yeah, 150 bucks on B and H. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, I think it's pretty great. Why is it called a C-stand, by the way? Do you, I was supposed to explain it and realized I don't know. I should have... Okay, wait, I'm reading Wikipedia right now. Uh, Century.
1: That's what it says on the your B&H leak. Low-profile Century stand. The advantages
0: to them are they are made out of a much stronger metal, typically. like The actual metal is usually a lot thicker than on a light stand, mm-hmm. um, so they're typically a lot stronger like you can trust them with a bit more weight or i do anyway Mm -hmm. and the downside there is that they're also heavier and the weight means that on a film you're going to have more of a crew meaning some people are just lugging these stands around all day whereas on a photo set you might be carrying it all yourself so that additional weight is a pain Mm -hmm. but um for me i'm going to be getting these to live in the studio so all of the studio stands will eventually be C stands or um or similar, you know, they're going to be heavy-duty studio stands. And then I'm going to put all of the light stands into more of my uh, go-bag that we'll uh, bring around with us.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I've wanted one of these for a while. I haven't been doing as much studio shooting, so it hasn't really like, come back onto my radar. But I used to use the, uh, the Paul Buff. Well, I still have it, actually. What is the air-conditioned light stand? right where it cools the room down or uh, <laughs> i don't think it does that but that's what <laughs> air cu- air cushioned air cushioned is that would uh, yeah thank you <laughs> yeah. um, um it's been a long couple of weeks yeah well,
0: i've got the non air cushioned pulsey buff one but then i have the air cushioned uh, manfrodo stands mm. and and uh well okay i've been buying the manfrodo ones for a while i've a number of them the air cushioning works great None of them have, uh, you know, broken under the weight of any lights I put on them, but they tip over relatively easily because of their lightweight. I mean, you need to sandbag them, but sandbagging them is not as easy as a C-stand. On a C-stand, we haven't described this yet, so you should just Google the image if you don't know, but the legs that extend out the sides are all flat to the ground. They are parallel to the ground instead of being at a sharp angle. So when you throw sandbags on various parts of a light stand, um, they'll either slide down or if you put them like, I sometimes put them kind of under, uh, like the underarm, which I know is incorrect, but they just sit safely there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know it's wrong. And the parallel legs of a C-stand are just so easy to sandbag. Like you can throw three sandbags down in a second and it's not ever going to move. Right. Um, So I, I really like that about them. Um, the Manfrotto stands have also broken in some unimportant places. None of them have just fallen apart, but, uh, like they're supposed to snap together for one things that you can carry them in a, in a bundle, which is a great feature while it's working. And, um, a few of them have broken now, uh, have decided that it just inevitably, all of them, the snap that holds them together will break. Uh, there's rubber on the grips that you tighten with and on several of them, that rubber has loosened and is coming off. And, uh, I've also seen there's a small red tab that is what you use to tighten the bottom of the legs, which looks super cool and modern and futuristic and all that. And it breaks. Um, so whereas on the C stand, it's all made of the same incredibly strong metal and, it really is not, I mean, you have to be really rough on those things to break. Yeah. Those things last 20
1: years, right?
0: Oh yeah. The last 20 years of heavy film production, like getting destroyed
1: Hardcore, Yeah, exactly.
0: When you see them on a set, like they're all in terrible shape, but they're holding up great.
1: I could swear that like the way that you just described your Manfrotto air cushioned Mm -hmm. is exactly the, the result of every Manfrotto product I think I've ever owned. Yeah. Like they they look great. It works great for a few weeks to a few <laughs> yeah. months, and yeah. it just it breaks down so quickly. Well, uh, I don't know. I'd give it a even though I've had them break. Like
0: I'd say that they'll all last reliably for at least two years. I mean, I've my tripod is Manfrotto, and it is I don't know almost ten years old. It's doing fine,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah, it's just iffy. Like I don't feel like you can trust. That Manfrotto will always be there for you. I think they maybe used to be a little more professional and have now tried to reach a more broad market. And because of that, it, they've focused more
1: on aesthetics and less on quality. I think you're onto something. Yeah, but you know, the, any kind of stands or tripods, everything is so trivial because of the cost. When you buy really nice tripods and stands, like they cost almost as much as your camera mm-hmm. or a lens. You well. Know? But-
0: but I would say that with stand, with seat like with stands it isn't yeah. as bad.
1: No, no, but not yeah, no. Because <laughs> if I compare
0: it, I mean, I not- bet if I look up the the Manfrotto's that are similar to this, they are you know maybe one hundred and twenty dollars or just a little bit less. But um, there's advantages to C stands as well that they typically will come with a arm and grip head, which is like kind of a lightweight boom that has an extra grip on top. So that means mm. that um, a lot of the t- like the reason they're there a lot of the time is for flags. That's when I've used that arm. That's usually what I'm installing is mm-hmm. either a, a flag or diffusion or something that sticks out of it um, to control light. You could also put really small lights on there, um, things that aren't terribly heavy. And, it's it's just super versatile. Also, the one I'm getting has an extendable leg, so like you could literally set this up on a staircase and trust it, um, mm. which is not something you can do on uh, or with a light stand, I should say. So, Definitely not.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you can't even. No. Or you think about
0: also going into a corner. Like with a C stand, you can go completely into a corner and have all of the legs angling out from that corner. Throw some sandbags down, and it's secure. But, oh, because you can change the, the the position of the legs. right? Yeah, exactly. You so can you can go flat them. against a wall. Like the the stand can virtually be like pressed against the wall and still be secure. And see, with, I feel like I feel like that's what I need for backdrops. Yeah, whenever, well, that's yeah. what these are going to be used for immediately.
1: The fr- I'm getting two right away. They're going to be the backdrop stands. Brilliant. That's a really great idea. Actually, I need to replace my backup stands, so that seems like a really good idea.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it feels like I'm investing in a lifelong studio that way. These are never; these are going to
1: last longer than I do. So, well, I'm going to actually, I'm going to wait until I, until I know whether or not I'm, I'm leaving Virginia. Oh, right. Well,
0: (laughs) that's a teaser, but
1: I don't need to carry more anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I
0: mean, I, I'm kind of in a studio space at this point, and having a bunch of heavy stuff in there is okay with me.
1: Yeah, you know those uh, Paul Buff air conditioned ones. Like they're they're really nice. You know, like at the, for what you for however much they cost, which I think it was less than that c Um They're really nice, but I've already busted one,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, I busted it using the boom arm with the with the uh, counterweight. Right,
0: just and, too much uh, weight on
1: the whole thing. What broke about it? Where did it break? <laughs> Um, it broke in a number of places. The, the 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 bigger the biggest problem was that it bent the boom arm, you know, because it was too much weight on oh, it. So it literally, yeah, it right. just bent it. So I couldn't like after a while, I just couldn't get it to maneuver in in any way that I needed it to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, whatever the mechanisms, you know, where the where the locks are for the extension poles, the the very bottom one, which is the you know the the heaviest duty, most secure one. Um, one day, I, I just picked it, I picked up the 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 stand from that that base, and it just came right off. Right, and it was like, oh, and there was a heavy light on it, so I almost dropped it because the the weight suddenly just you know dipped forward on me. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those moments. I think I had a client in the studio, and I was just like, oh, you know, I swear this doesn't always happen. Yeah, like no, I really do know what I'm doing. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And you know, it's one of those, those, one of those moments where you just kind of think, um, it's really worth it to spend well, you, a little bit more money. You know, it's so stupid, but the whole sandbagging thing
0: to me, like I've had stands go down numerous times, and usually it's because I didn't sandbag them. And, and this is so lame, but I know I'm lazier about sandbagging when, um. When it's just not, it doesn't work as well. Which it doesn't on a light stand. They just don't sit there very comfortably. Whereas a C stand is asking for it. Like the shape of it is waiting for a bag to be dropped on top of it, and I'm way more likely to do it. So
1: yeah, it's safe. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, so I should also probably get a few more sandbags, um, and uh, just you know to be uh, double safe. <laughs> then I'm also going to be in the market for a new boom to go along with this, but I
1: haven't haven't picked one yet. So. Mm. That's what I want it for, you know? I mean, I guess, you know, as soon as you said using it for flagging, I'm like, oh, yeah, that would make so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'm always, like, hanging a flag. like I'm, like, dangling it from something on the ceiling or who knows what. Well, those so little, like,
0: like, included gobo arm uh, grips, The I mean, you can't put much of a light on there, right? I'm, no. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to get a more heavy-duty boom arm that can that can take some serious weight like we have a giant softbox we have a i think it's six feet and uh that puts some serious weight on our palsy buff
1: arm or boom right now so i bet fun well what else you got going on
0: <laughs> um well i don't know let me look at my wish list on b n a right now i've been uh, <laughs> <laughs> i've just been like throwing stuff in a cart to Kind of decide what I might someday do. Do you do a lot of like wish listing? I'm really bad for charting out everything I might ever want and uh, trying to weigh them against each other. Like mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time thinking about like, well, if I spend a thousand dollars on this, it means I don't get that. So I try to dream up everything I might ever want and um, be sure that I'm comparing all of the things I'm interested in to each other.
1: Yeah, I used to do exactly that, and I I did it all the time, and and it was, uh, I think it's before I was ever making any money, mm-hmm. um, and now that I I actually make some money, like I can't, you know, like I just I don't actually <laughs> have any time to do that. A hole in your pocket? No, it's definitely not doing. It. <laughs> Yeah. yeah um it, you know it 's not like it, no i mean i I work too much right, and i don 't have any free time to do anything with it, so I do have play money right, right. because i don 't you know i don 't spend it on anything i don 't do anything else outside of photography that 's a lie i do but i I, I feel like i don 't because <laughs> I work so much, but anymore I, I feel like i don 't really have that much time, and when I do, I just find out what I want, and I usually buy it within a day or two, where right. it used to be like I would Research, you know, every product and compare it against everything, and do exactly what you did with the wish well, list, and then just. Here's you know. the problem, though, is I looked at a wish list from last year, and I realized that if
0: I had just gone ahead and bought everything on it immediately, I, there's definitely a few things I would have regretted. That yeah. By now, I'm just like, um, I would, I know, I wouldn't have used that. Yeah. So if I don't sit on it, I and I have ended up with some of those purchases in the past that. Seemed like a great idea at the time.
1: <laughs> well, and, I, and sometimes it, it, I think it comes and goes. Like, I have uh, my 85 millimeter tilt shift lens that it cost, I think, $1,600 brand new mm-hmm. when I bought it. And when I bought it, I was so excited. I was like, this is going to change everything. <laughs> and uh, the truth is, is, it's one of those lenses that I, I might not use for two or three months at a time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, my, yeah, we've talked about those before. Um, mm. If you go back to
0: whatever episode, but my XF, the 90, and yeah, we're in the exact same boat. Every few months, we're like, you know what? I should really put this thing to use. But
1: <laughs> uh, Yeah, and then it's, it's over. Yeah, you forget, you forget all about it again. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, here, I, I, just for fun, though, I'm going to tell you the highlights from my wish list just in case I talk about them later. Uh, yeah. Actually, looking at it now, a lot of this is video-related, but still, um, I'm really looking at drones right now. Mm-hmm. I'm, oh. I'm really starting to think about it. Uh, It seems to me like it's illegal to fly them anywhere, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of afraid that I'll end up not being able to do as much as I want. Mm -hmm. But I'm still further researching the legal implications and requirements. Uh, For example, I was reading that you're not allowed to record with drones or operate drones, I guess in any of the U S national parks, that's pretty big restriction. Like that's a lot of the places you would want to go because you're also not allowed to fly them over people. So you think, okay, well then I'll go into nature and find something beautiful in nature, but no national national parks. Yeah. That's pretty big Mm -hmm. limitations. So um, Hmm. I'm sure somebody knows more about this than I do and can
1: uh, message me on Twitter about it. But uh, yeah, I will find out more information about that soon. Um you, well you could probably find out some uh some of the Canadian information from Jennifer Grantham. Oh, she does this? She has one? Yeah, she does it a lot. She loves it. It's oh. like her new that's that's what she's into right now. Oh well then I absolutely will. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Uh well the, the next thing is from also from DGI,
0: also from the same company. So the one I'm looking at, the one that is on my wish list right now is the DGI Phantom 3 standard with 2.7 camera and three axis gimbal. Although that's kind of dumb. I would probably actually go for the 4k camera instead of the 2.7. Mm. Um, so, and then the other thing from DJI is a Ronin M. So this is the, actually we saw this in New York because Brian yep. has one. It's the smaller Ronin, uh, gimbal. So this is the hand stabilizer. I've talked about the bigger one on past episodes and have rented it quite a few times, and it's wonderful. But th- that one is much bigger than you need for an SLR. So mm-hmm. for the 5Ds and A7s that I have been shooting on, this is much more size appropriate. It's also way cheaper, uh, 1400 bucks on B&H. Mm. Uh, so
1: yeah, Those, those are, things are bo- awesome. <laughs> yeah, they are really cool. Um, that alone... Are really that watching that alone made me want to shoot video. <laughs> yeah, and well, not holding it because it was, it, you know, it's <laughs> it, a pain. it gets yeah, it's it heavy. It gets it gets a little tiring, but just seeing it in action, you're like, yeah, I want to try that.
0: Well, they can also get a bit finicky. Like the robotics in it needs, you know, careful handling and can be kind of twitchy sometimes. And if you program it wrong and it's off balance, then it goes crazy and you don't know why. So we, we were fighting with it a bit while we shot and. Every shoot that I've done with it, I've had a bit of a battle, but Mm -hmm. it's always worth it. I mean, the footage is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so there's one other thing that is, oh God, now I'm forgetting the name of it, Osmo uh, Stabilizer, which is just like a little handheld thing. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I get the Phantom, it uses the same camera, and if I could just get the drone and the hand stabilizer and switch the camera in between them, that might be a lot cheaper too. So... Mm that's an open question. If anybody knows, if you can alternate those, uh, the camera between the two of them, cause I think you can. So that'd be really yeah. fun. And then I, I also have a, a larger carbon fiber Manfrotto. Well, right now it's Manfrotto, but a li- larger carbon fiber <laughs> video tripod. The one in my cart is a Manfrotto. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to do it or not. It's the one we were renting in, mm-hmm. in New York. Um, but I'll need something like that. Eventually I don't have a heavy duty video tripod. Um, and then uh, think tank airport rolling bag. So nice. that's, that's kind of my realistic wish list. And then I have a dream wish list that I'm not even going to read because it's probably not going to happen. Because so. <laughs> it makes you sad. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing shopping for very practical studio stuff at the moment and dreaming bigger. Awesome. Yeah. What about you? What are you up to?
1: Um, I've
0: been toasting film all week. Oh, yeah. And?
1: How's it? How's it going? I, sh- I saw you shooting it out there. You had your uh, your mamiya out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's going. It's going well. So I, I did buy the film toaster that we talked about last week, and I've been experimenting with it. And uh, some of it's been pretty frustrating, but I think that I, I overcame some of that, and I've, now I'm having some pretty really nice uh, results, actually. And it's really exciting, actually. Now, now that I'm figuring out like what the tricks are, it's getting to be really cool. Well, from
0: what you've told me so far, the issues have been especially related to color.
1: Yeah, especially and like, entirely related to color negatives. Yeah. Uh, just because uh, you know the conversion is is a trick, and you know how that relates to to doing it this way, to scanning it this way, is uh, is a huge curiosity. It's just a big black hole for me. And I'm I'm slowly starting to figure it out, but I, I'm actually kind of going the uh, the old school photography route and starting with black and white negatives. <laughs> so there's I think that the first thing that I needed to figure out was how to get the right density, because if you know when you, if you think about it, you're shining light through a negative and then you're taking a picture of that negative. It just seems like you're not. You're probably in one exposure. You're probably not going to get the full density of the negative. You're going to get one impression of it. Well, yeah. The tough thing is is that when you look at what a
0: normal scanner does like your pack on or your lab scanner it seems to just do it all at once.
1: No it doesn't though because it, um, but but well no i mean doesn't no. it just kind of keep like passing it through and, and well i don't know done? about the yeah i don't know about the how exactly the pack on works i mean it kind of seems like the pack on probably just scans it once but i think that the reason that it can is because it's producing such a small image oh okay you know yeah. but when you but when you're using like a like a nikon or one of those other desktop scanners they usually you know you can do quite a number of di- of samples well, to build up the, a file that is also on the desktop ones because when if the the bigger lab scanners
0: also don't behave like that like they're able to just do a single pass and it may be a slow pass and take a long time, but so somehow they're more,
1: more powerful. In, yeah, whatever, at whatever respect, there's you know, some that's what I science know. in there that is some mystery science that yeah, you're, you're it's missing making out it on. work. Yeah, and also I, I, obviously you know um, when you're talking about like the pack on, you know, I mean it was. Produced for, or at least for a while, it was owned by Kodak, and it's it's hardly a coincidence that when you feed a pack on Kodak film, the colors come out right almost instantly. Right. Yeah. No surprise. Right. And then if you put Fuji film in it, it comes out very cyan every time, and so you know it's it's there's an equation there, and um, it's just a, it's about figuring that part out. So that's that's really where I'm at now is is kind of. Figuring out the density issues and then also figuring out how to to do the conversion for any given films that I use. I think this is definitely if I continue on this road, I think that it's definitely gonna be the thing, the catalyst for me to like pick a film, you know?
0: And just so you figure it out and then don't mess around.
1: Exactly. Because I think that in terms of workflow, like if, if this is gonna be a real thing for me, then then it just has to be simple. Somebody can uh, go re-listen to an old episode and
0: tell me if I did say this, but I think I predicted that this would be the problem. Like color, color is always the problem, and mm-hmm. um, it's something that a lot of the people that are giving us these solutions in the at-home scanning market don't realize. Because to have good taste in color mm-hmm. is rare. <laughs> we, we've talked about it a lot, but you know, it took so long for there to be nice color presets for mm-hmm. Lightroom. And now, thankfully, we have Mastin Labs and VSCO and others that uh, look fantastic, that really mm-hmm. do nice things with colors. But most people didn't even realize that was missing from their lives. So most of the people trying to provide solutions for scanning film at home, it's the, it's the same thing. They look at it and they're like, yeah, the photo's in color, great. Like, here, here we go, we've got it. <laughs> but... What Without, do you mean the skin's blue? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, like, it's not, it's not that it's not that the image is completely horrible. It's just not beautiful. It's not the reason that we want to shoot film. So when I look at something scanned that like, I can see the scanning process instead of mm-hmm. seeing the film, I just, I feel like they're missing the point. Um, like you're, you're just doing it for the sake of, of the nostalgia maybe, but there is right. so it's, much it, more than it. It's if a you turn do it well. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, you compare, you know, almost any at-home solution um, of, a, of a medium format color negative to anything that's done on a Fuji Frontier, for instance, and it always just looks inferior. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I don't think that there's really any, you know, even the Packon is, you know, does really amazing work for what it is and for how like simple and convenient it is, but it still can't compare. You know, it just doesn't, and so I think that expecting this solution to to like be on par with that is is not really being fair. Um, however, I th- I'm becoming more and more optimistic about it, and uh, I'm actually here. I'm, I'm going to share my most recent scan with you. And so, what I figured out for doing black and white, at least, is um, is that I'm I'm doing HDR. So I'm I'm taking anywhere from seven to nine shots. Mm-hmm. And then merging them in HDR and just in Lightroom in the very simple Lightroom HDR merger. And then you know, I'm clicking on the uh, the black and white for in the uh, the HSL color black and white module, um, just to just to make sure that there's not any like residual color that's coming from the the digital um, file, the digital RAW file. Right. And then uh, just simply you know, open it up and export it to Photoshop. Open it and just Command I to invert and then it usually comes out looking a little flat, which you just have to adjust your curves. Mm-hmm. And then after a few adjustments, you get the image that I just showed you. Yeah, the sample you sent me is perfect. It's, it's really, really, you really, really nice. You can't ask for than that. Right. I mean, you go in 100% and the, the tonal gradation and the and the film grain, everything is is oh, yeah, yeah, really, really nice. Yeah. Like flawlessly nice. Well,
0: if, if anybody wants to look at what we're talking about, the show notes are at stallman.com slash cameras or whatever. And uh, you should, yeah, you should take a look at this photo. There's, um, it's, it's on the site. And uh,
1: well, you should also send the photo of me and we'll put that on there too.
0: Yeah.
1: And that was another one. Um, And that was done on uh, the Delta 3200. Oh, right. And so, um, yeah, this it's just, and now I'm beginning to start to already learn how to refine it. Um, so the difference between like the the scans that I was doing two days ago and the ones I did today are, are quite a bit better. Right. Altogether. Yeah. It actually say like the
0: the contrast on this one is much more interesting than on on the one you had sent me like for, oh, yeah. a week ago.
1: Yeah. This is this is like literally nailing my ideal, right. which I did not expect to to see. Yeah. So,
0: well, I th- I think often this is a tr- the trouble with people again going back to the problem with people scanning at home. Is that a lot of people also are primarily interested in black and white, which is um, easier? It's not, not not that it's easy. Like obviously, it's taking you a learning curve as well. As it would take anyone, but it's not nearly as challenging as you know, inverting a, a color negative and then correcting for
1: the that. What's that orange cast called? That's in <laughs> a you know. I, what is that called? I call it misery. I don't know what else to call it. Yeah, it's just, I mean that's that's
0: not something you can just eyeball and just like crank a slider or uh, you
1: know move a curve in Photoshop. It's no. And what I want to know is, you know, any any science people out there, like why can't we create a color negative film without that base? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like we can why do a, a color positive, so why can't we do a color negative without a, a color a tinted base? I it's, I'm guessing that you can, but that there's an advantage to not doing it. I have no idea. Um, I really doubt it. There. It seems to me that it's it, there. I just can't imagine any modern excuse for why that would still be necessary. Because mm-hmm. yeah. everybody is digitizing their film anyway at this point. So, Kodak, come on, make so a film it? that doesn't have this stupid orange base on it. Or, you know, somebody, one of our uh, listeners, tell me why. Tell me why it can't be done. Because. I need to I need to not be angry about it. <laughs> or
0: if you don't want to explain it to Cameron, just make some software that perfectly inverts the image with no extra effort on our part. Yeah,
1: you know what? I would be I'd be very happy with that solution and make it so it's a Lightroom plugin. So where are you at with your film toaster right now? Do you,
0: are you ready to fully review it, give it a thumbs up or down, or are you still in the judgment
1: phase? No, I'm still in the judgment phase, but I I definitely feel like I've I have taken a huge leap forward just in this week with it, and which is a huge relief because you know I, I told you you know that i was I was apprehensive about it, the price was not something that I was really ready to do, mm-hmm. and you know the, the the truth is that that any of this could be done through much cheaper means and you just have to kind of question whether or not a box of metal with a light in it is worth paying $1,700 for Yeah, yeah that's true. It's, it's crazy to me, but now that I'm getting this result, I'm a little bit happier about it. Um, but I, you know, I mean, it's just the thing is that I have not yet found a solution that I was happy with. And so, you know, this is a huge step because I have never been able to scan black and white film at my, in my own home. That was this good. Yeah,
0: no, I mean the, the black and white stuff is looking perfect. Like, if you want to keep shooting black and white forever, then you've got you've got your method of doing it right here. It's yep. amazing.
1: And you know, the other thing that's that's really nice about about this is that this role that, that you see this image on and also the role that I shot and I started shooting it up in New York. I, I developed both at home on on Sunday and started scanning it yesterday and today. And mm-hmm. like that's I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty great turnaround. I mean, I saw that
0: photo you took of me like within a week of it being taken, which is Amazing for film,
1: right? It's just really, yeah. It's it's a neat thing. So I think that I will be shooting more black and white, mm-hmm. which is great because I already have a lot. <laughs> so I, I I probably ought to shoot it. Yeah, uh, but this gives me a lot more incentive, especially being able to now that I've actually have a result where I can see that I got what I wanted. So like with this particular image, um, it is a, is a portrait of my son, and um, I had him stand in this in the, in between some tree leaves that were really bright yellow. And uh, I pulled out my yellow filter on my Yashica. Oh. And it did exactly what I wanted it to do. It really put the contrast exactly where I, I envisioned it. And to, so to see it here on my screen exactly the way that I wanted it yeah. is really exciting. Because yeah, I feel like most feeling. of the time I don't get exactly what I'm envisioning. Um, and just knowing that you have that kind of control at your hands is, is really, it's, it's freedom. It's exciting. No, this is perfect. Put this in the put this in the scrapbook. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing is, I think that um, one. I think that it's it kind of gives me a little bit of an impetus to um, to finish getting my website finished, so I can start blogging about these experiences. Right.
0: You need to uh, print this off too. I'd love to see one of these printed large ish. Oh, just to see
1: how it. Yeah, I would be curious. Now, yeah, and see now you're going to get me buying a printer. Yeah, and but then, then you can't buy- do a digital print. You got to do a <laughs> <laughs> traditional darkroom print. So what I could do is is invert it again. Like take, take this image and invert it, and then print on mylar. Oh. And then I would have like a you know a twelve by twelve negative to print, and I could do a contact print. That'd be really cool. You should do that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know I could do that without having to have like a darkroom. Um I'm going to go
0: back to this document we have and I noticed that you say Cameron is investigating Capture One software.
1: Yeah, I am. I'm really I'm yeah, I'm really kind of at a crossroads cuz I am so comfortable with Lightroom that I can't imagine turning my back on it. <laughs> you know, like I know every or I feel like I know everything that I need to know about it. Um I'm sure there's always more. But just the recent update issues and and problems that lightroom's been having it's been getting, making me curious and then you know because i'm curious i start reading other information that makes me think about it differently and um specifically the thing that that's really making me scratch my head is uh converting to dng hmm. because uh i've been reading about you know how the that that conversion really can it's reinterpreting all the information that your camera is capturing naturally. And um, it's not necessarily a good thing because right. you're taking things out that might have been nice. I do know that when we've talked to Kirk, Kirk
0: Mastin, he um, he does optimize his settings for the RAW files they are meant to be used on RAWs, not on DNGs, although I entirely use them on DNGs all the time. But um, he, you know, somebody that is building presets does recognize that there is different behavior between DNGs and RAW files. Uh, but, okay, but f- first of all, you don't need to convert to, to DNGs to be using Lightroom. So is a, a, a using Lightroom and original raw files isn't an option to you?
1: No, I mean it is. I'm going to I'm going to stop importing and converting to DNG like now. Huh. And then I'm just going to kind of see where that takes me, but it, in the meantime I also downloaded Capture One cuz they, they do a 30-day trial. Oh, yeah, I've never done the trial.
0: I mean I've done the same thing you're talking about now that I've taking a look at capture one maybe once a year or almost when somebody that I respect and knows a lot about photography tells me to look at it. And then I do. And there just isn't ever, there's there's nothing in it that I can't do in Lightroom. That's why I don't commit to it. And Mm -hmm. um, when I've seen formal tests between their processing power I do not see any significant advantage to either. I I, I feel like it's a matter of taste. And Lightroom has come a really long way. Like, old Lightroom was not great. When they did the big update
1: to the image processing, it got so much better. So much, yeah. Like, light years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I I really appreciate that. The problem... I don't know. Like I, I'm just I have it in my mind now that you know I've been seeing some other people's work that I know uses Capture One. And the richness of the the natural colors is, is really enticing me. Um, it's making me curious. You know, I think so before you commit to anything crazy, mm-hmm. you're gonna
0: have to find a way, and you know, maybe I'll help you out, but to uh run some blind tests. Mm-hmm. Because I think I, th- I think with a lot of this software stuff that people are kind of pixel peeping, and they will, you know, they'll look at the greens in one photo and the greens in another photo, and just based on the context of the article they're reading, they're like, yeah, you know what, they are a bit richer or a bit <laughs> truer or whatever. In in the example that I'm curious about, like that is that I'm not using right now, but I'm never too sure that with comparing these modern software that are both clearly really amazing. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it would take a lot to, to prove it to me. And I, mm-hmm. I see you just posted the link to this petapixel. Why I stopped using TNG.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I did see this article as well. And I kind of forget what it said.
1: <laughs> well, reread it. Cause I think it's interesting and it, it, at least it warrants investigation. I I will
0: reread this article and think more about it and uh let's try to follow up next time. Because yeah. you know what I just like I really 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 like DNGs. The not having sidecar files, the smaller mm-hmm. file format, the just in, everything being embedded into one tight perfect little package is mm-hmm. really really appealing to me and I've actually I've actually been accidentally running this test a little lately because Once Lightroom made the change to not convert on the fly. So the DNGs aren't converted as the files come in. They're converted after your download is done or your import Mm -hmm. is done. And after they did that while traveling, um, I just haven't had time to wait for the conversion afterwards. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time I'm in a big rush and I just need these files as soon as possible and I have three cards to download. So as soon as the first one's done, I'm not going to wait for the DNGs. I cancel the DNG conversion and jump to the next card. And so for about a month's worth of photos, all through the, the trip we did to Europe, um, almost all of that I left raw. And I wasn't thinking about it really. Like this was not intentional, but just doing that, I have I definitely have not noticed a difference myself and. I mean, I'd be surprised if anybody looking at my work was like, you know, I I knew there was something different over the past few weeks. So you know, just if everybody looking at my files can't notice the difference, and neither do I,
1: um, it would take a lot to convince me that it's worth the effort. I guess. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, you know, I, I look at your workflow, or you know, your the results of your workflow, and I can't see why you would need any anything different. Frankly, yeah. um, and I think that in terms of my digital work, I don't really think that I need a lot of different. I'm just I'm just curious, right? But I'm also now that I'm scanning these film files as raw images, it makes me curious whether or not I can use Capture One to get more out of my scans than I could get from Lightroom. Right? And I don't know, obviously.
0: So I think it's definitely worth investigating. I, I mean, you shouldn't take any of it at face value, and I
1: I I definitely think we should all never stop trying to find answers to these things. Yeah. So, and trying to just find new ways to do things. Just even even if it just uh if it's totally technical, maybe it changes something about your your work in a positive I, way.
0: I gotta say, looking at the samples in this Petapixel <clears throat> article, they are they are misleading. No I, I don't know the details of how he processed these two comparison photos, but he has two versions of one file and he says uh the version on top was processed last year using Lightroom, and the version on yeah. bottom was processed last week using Capture One. Now if you mm-hmm. look at these, they were processed diff- using a different technique. Like they were mm-hmm. not processed to hit the same target. Um y- you could achieve like looking at his phase one image, if I had the original, I could get much, much closer to that using Lightroom than he did with his Lightroom samples. So I don't I don't feel like this is a great representation. Hey wait, can you get Maston Labs or VSCO for phase one, for for. for uh, I don't think so. Well,
1: then my mind is made <laughs> up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I that's again, I don't think that it could be a replacement. You know, like I do, I I I'm not that mm-hmm. delusional because I mean when I do event work and stuff like that, and I need to do to edit a lot of photos, then it how does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I haven't been convinced. You know, the, another thing about this—this, this, these two photos—is that, like, if you look at the the blue in his shirt on the bottom
0: mm-hmm.
1: versus the blue in his eyes, and then compare that to the the, uh, the top image, the differences are really stark. Yeah, but his skin tone does look quite a lot better. But this is, this, the thing is, these are not. It's not like this
0: is the default setting of each of them. Yeah. No. Right. Like it's he not. he sat down, and I imagine. Blindly started moving sliders without looking at his previous reference photo. Like what he would have to do, I I think, to see if they processed it in a more interesting way is either, you know, say have presets that were meant to be identical across both software or, um, I don't know, maybe have a reference photo that is the target for the color and use both pieces of software to get close to his target colors. And that's the measure of the two is, are you able to achieve a look that you are aiming at? Because in a second I could get this Lightroom example much, much closer. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what to do to get it 80% towards this Capture One example. So yep, I um, agree. But this, and none of this is interesting if you haven't looked at these photos. So again, <laughs> you should probably go to com slash cameras or whatever slash 35, this is 35, right? Yeah. Yeah, episode 35. So take a look at the photos and uh, tell us what you think. So um, what are you into this week?
1: Besides the film toaster? Uh, yeah, is that it? Is that your pick again? No, actually, I've been ignoring my eMusic account for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, had, I had a huge balance. And so I was like, oh, hey, I'm going to download a bunch of stuff. And then I started looking you know going on online and looking for new record reviews and it just seems like nothing new is good i've had that feeling many times yeah i you know i, I had that in that moment of like wow i'm really that old and then i ended up digging a little deeper and i ended up finding some stuff that like i've been really enjoying which is so cool um so the first one is uh it's called correction's house and um this is definitely a, a heavier brand of music the record is called Know How to Carry a Whip, <laughs> but it's 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 put out on Neurot Records, which is a label out of San Francisco, I believe. And uh, it, it's some of the the guys from um, Neurosis that are in this this group, and it's just it's really good. It's not, you know, and like I know I talk about my metal a lot, <laughs> and I realized something this week in that it's that like I actually don't like metal. I like specific bands, mm. but as a genre and as a whole, I really don't like it. Um, most stuff that I that I read reviews and listen to, I'm like, oh god, it's awful. Right. And you know, I feel like I'm really super picky about what I like. And it's like, you know, um, every now and then I come across another, you know, quote unquote metalhead, and you know, they 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 want they start you know showing me what they like, and I'm like, wow, this is awful. This is awful. This is awful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, it's just really rare. Like I feel like there's only a couple people that I have a, a, the same taste um, with on this genre. Whereas, like I feel like with uh, other more popular styles of music, like indie rock and stuff like that, um, it's easy for me to 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 also see like what's good out there, you know, and yeah. agree with people.
0: Yeah, I I can actually completely relate to that, especially with heavier music that uh, that, or actually a lot of genres say even like reggae or country like the the genres i'm not really into i can definitely still find a song or a band that i love
1: mm-hmm.
0: but still as a rule not enjoy the genre
1: absolutely yeah reggae especially
0: yeah totally but, the, me, but the, like, there are certain songs that really i mean honestly they're only by bob marley i don't think there's any other uh, reggae musicians that i've ever really enjoyed much but there's, there's-
1: There's a few, but like,
0: but yeah, I mean, uh, there, yeah, it's hard to find a reggae song that I connect with, but it happens. So,
1: or, uh, or, or jazz. Well, I think that with jazz, I can, I can, I have quite a lot of jazz, but I, I definitely, I only get into some of the more obvious ones. You know, like I have a lot, but I'm into the, you know, the Miles Davis and the Coltrane and, you know, the stuff that that's really obvious, and so I don't feel like I can really talk about jazz. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, even me—the few that I'm
0: into—are Miles Davis songs. That's <laughs> right. kind of the only jazz that I like. So
1: it's kind of like saying, like, no, I really like rock music. Like, what do you like? And they're like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. Yeah. You know, it's you know, it doesn't mean anything. The Beatles, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like you're not really into it. You just enjoy this pop music. Yeah, totally. Which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But but that's how I feel about jazz as well.
0: I, uh, I'm going to do my pick because I'm a little short on time tonight. And But it's a really heavy recommendation. I really strongly recommend everybody checks this out. And it's a Photoshop plugin called Lumenzia with mm. a Z or Z. So um, the link, again, in the show notes, lots of show notes to look at this week. But it is a really quick mask selection tool for luminance masks. So this is especially useful. I mean, this would be really great for you right now for HDR work. So it has really powerful and fast ways to select, say all of your highlights within a certain range, all of your midtones in a certain range or your shadows, then create sub masks inside of that to just select certain parts of that image. So, let's say you're trying to just select all the bright white windows in a HDR that you're going to composite together. So, instead of creating a HDR in Lightroom, which can be very hard to tone map that afterwards, I often prefer this this manual method where it'll select the overexposed stuff, then blend it together with the correctly exposed parts of the other image. And you can basically brush it in and just select where it's happening and get a lot of control over the look. It also lets you do this with uh, single exposure images. So today I was editing a iPhone photo that needed some color balance between some outdoor, some daylight and some tungsten light. And Mm -hmm. I was able to really quickly make some selections based on lighting and color that let me balance those white balances much more quickly than I could have otherwise. Uh, So I, I should remind me to bring it back up. I hope you take a look at it. And if you do ask me about it again next time, because like, I, I think it's really interesting. It looks like a homemade plugin, but the developers put a lot of thought into this. Like it is some very advanced Photoshop voodoo that, I am amazed he was able to pull it off, and he has a really great series of tutorials on how to use the software as
1: well so i'm I'm looking at the screenshots right now, and it looks so like raw mm-hmm. and which yeah. is why I think it's really exciting yeah it's like it's only the the nerdiest nerds are gonna are gonna bother once you, they're gonna you have know what? To-
0: as soon as you watch the first tutorial you'll be like, oh, this isn't nearly as hard as i thought it like mm-hmm. it's just not very attractively designed but right. the concepts are very straightforward
1: um, so maybe maybe you could you know like hang out with this guy for a couple of weeks and and figure out how to make it more attractive <laughs> yeah I, you, you could use a little help but
0: um just watch the first tutorial just watch the like basic how-to and i, I promise right away most people will see something in it that is useful to them and i, I think
1: it's uh 40 dollars is that yeah that's what it yeah. says 39.99 yeah so I that's mean, it's, really it's not, cheap for yeah, something that seems this exciting yeah and uh
0: you know it's still relatively new to me i've only had it a few weeks but i've gone to it quite a few times already so
1: i think it'll become part of my workflow cool well then i will be asking you more about it <laughs> if i become very interested all right let's remember to put some follow-up notes
0: uh, next week okay all right thanks Cameron. thanks